0: From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast.
1: and welcome back to the Worthless Servants podcast. I am Scott Armstrong, and we are a podcast that deals with missions, culture, and healthy church. We're put out by the Church of the Nazarene in the Mesoamerica region. If you don't know what that is, we can tell you all about that later. Um, (laughs) But this is specifically for our 32 countries, but thank you if you're listening from other places as well. I wanna take a little moment and just say thanks to our communications team who has done such an excellent job. They edit this, they record this, and one of them is in studio right now. I say studio but you know, it's all, it's just our guest room and we're doing the best we can. Uh, But Esteban Juan is with us and uh, I don't even have a microphone. You can't even say anything right now for you. Um, But he's looking at us and, and with, with much satisfaction that he's been recognized. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you for all you do um, Esteban. And thank you also to the whole communications team that is uh, probably literally right now editing this very episode. So I'd like to introduce some of the uh, servants that are around here and uh, far away way as well first of all to my left Emily Armstrong hey everyone to my right Natalie Franco hi guys and uh, from Barbados Reverend Dario Richards hey guys Let's talk about every five episodes, we take time to dive into a scripture passage. And this time we, I think Emily, you had mentioned months ago that this would be a good passage. I took a note on it and then I started reading it in my own devotions and I said, this would be a good passage.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting how the Holy Spirit works that way. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. And and so we're going to be in Philippians 16 and uh, let's read the first part, six to 10. We're going to read from six to 15 eventually, but six to 10. And let's talk about, that and then we'll go into the following verses from 11 to 15. So Dario, would you help us out on these first few verses?
0: Yes, please. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the prophets of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus will not allow them to. So they passed by measure and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them.
1: I think we need to dive right in, guys. This, I mean, sometimes we've read this passage and we just think, oh, yeah, yeah, the Macedonian vision. Yeah, 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 sure. I think we need to back up. There's some phrases in here that maybe would mess with us theologically, right? He was kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching. In, in another in another part it says that the Holy Spirit did not allow them to minister or to preach. I, I mean, I, I'm guilty of this, I, and, and uh, I'm almost happy to say it. Um, uh, as a missionary, I just feel like God has given us this mission. We're going to go to all the earth. And I'm sure Paul was thinking the same thing. And then all of a sudden... He's thwarted all of a sudden there's, there's there. no, no, I can't go into this place. And, and, and he realized this was not the enemy, but it was God that was saying, I don't want you to preach the gospel in this place. Wow. I, I don't know. I mean, where do we start with this? Have you guys ever had any moments where you felt kept by the Holy Spirit? from certain ministry in a place with a person in a time? Wouldn't Jesus want us to be successful in, in ministry everywhere we go? I mean, what do you make of all of these uh, phrases that we're seeing here?
2: I think one of the first real applications I heard of this passage being preached by somebody was literally just a handful of years ago. And Dr. Crocker used it when we were very close to the beginning of the pandemic. We had only been in the pandemic for three to six months. I don't remember exactly when I heard him um, speak and use this specific passage. Um, But it was the first time that I had heard somebody like literally call attention to the fact that there are times when... God would tell the church even that, like, I don't want you to go there or to do this. And he was saying in the midst of what we were confronting as a global denomination of people could not leave their homes. There were multiple places that you could not gather together in groups of more than five, you know, in the very beginning, early days of it. And um, I think so all of us could say, yes, we have had an experience where for some reason or another, and we might not know this side of heaven, you know, but there was a moment moment in time that we all have experienced that it was like the way that you are presenting the gospel right now, it's a no like literally almost the whole world shut down all at the same time you know and um, so that it comes to my mind now every time I read that passage of like yeah we all experienced God kind of saying no not this way but it didn't mean that he just shut down ministry completely right like that was the whole part of the pandemic for us but I just bring that because I think some people might be like no I've never had that experience but the reality is we've all had that experience in very recent history
1: so let me just ask when we Face opposition to our ministry. I mean, we usually think, "Wow, I mean, we got to pray harder against the devil," you know, against against the opposition, you know, that we're that we're receiving. But what we rarely ask if it's God Himself that could have a purpose in in the in those closed doors. And mm-hmm. you mentioned the pandemic, Emily, like. You know, I've I've wondered currently uh, literally we're waiting on visas for some missionaries to get to different places, right. you know. Uh, if you're listening to this, please pray that many of our missionaries would be able to get visas to go to certain countries? Why is it that it's taken more than a year in some cases? Why is it that it seems to be uh, that that door has closed? I'm not sure what the answer is. Um, And, uh, you know, but we're trying to trust and say, well, uh, instead of just saying the devil is in the government offices, and (laughs) instead we're trying to say, well, in the meantime, what would God, how would God want to use those missionaries? What would he want to do?
2: Yeah, I think sometimes when we're in the midst of the, the waiting, and maybe even in the midst of the no, you know, I think it's really common for a lot of the preaching that we hear to be like, God gives the answers of yes, no, and wait, but we don't sit with the no very well, right? Like as <laughs> the church, when we don't sit with God saying no to something, that seems like it's really good, and um I think sometimes it's the hindsight is twenty twenty that helps you to see that God was working in a different way, that was moving in a different way. Um, and like it, my mind even goes back to from our United States context. We heard a lot of stories after the um, September 11th attacks in 2001 of people that were like, I was supposed to be in the building that came down and so many thousands of people lost their lives in that terror attack. And they were telling these stories of like but my my dog got out that day and i had to go catch him or my car you know, ran out of my gas my car ran out of gas all these terrible things that were happening and then the you know the hindsight of being like but I wasn't in that space where I should have been. I should have been working. And it makes me wonder sometimes do we, does God need to give us that space to reflect as well? Maybe we don't know when we're in the middle of it that God is saying, no, not right now. But even like what you're saying with the visa,
3: hmm.
2: will we be able to look back on a year of the no and say, you know what? During this year, I was doing something in your life or in somebody else's life or preparing the church that you were going to go be with and they needed an extra year. Yes. Like, <laughs> In order to have your success, they needed an, another year of me being at work in prevenient grace. So I think sometimes we, we don't afford ourselves kind of that longevity of having a long view of God saying no to something.
1: So Natalie, as a leader, have you ever received like a vision or sensed from the Holy Spirit? Um, not in the dream sense, you know, like, like Paul is, is seen a Macedonian vision, right? The Macedonian man. Um, but have you ever had kind of a vision from God or especially one that kind of changed your life or ministry? Have you known anyone that has?
3: I know a couple who has. Jesse and Mario Lopez from Mexico. You guys know them. Um, they are missionaries from from the Mesoamerica region, and they are currently serving in uh, in here in Dominican Republic with the Work and Witness Ministry. And we were talking about this how they. Where when they got married and they decided to apply to become missionaries, they were praying a lot and praying a lot, and God was guiding them to go to Haiti. And so they just started this home assignment to raise funds. They, they were um, talking to the Mexican church about Haiti, what they're going to do in Haiti, which was work with working witness as well. And finally, they got there to Haiti, and the next day after they arrived Haiti, this political situation happened where the president was killed. And so they were like, all these issues, all these uh, problems happening in Haiti, like lots of gains, like doing... Chaos. Ca- was like, it was chaos. a chaos. So... Mm-hmm. Um, they were supposed to leave the country. And so they were supposed to stay, they only stayed for four months in Haiti. And so they had to come back to Mexico. And they were telling me like, we didn't understand why God was saying yes to us. Like He was so clear. The church was so involved. We went there and just the day after we arrived, all these things happens. Yeah. And so now we came back and now God is saying that we're going back to the island, but to Dominican Republic. Like not even like what? What is this happening? Mm-hmm. But they stayed uh, obedient to God's voice and they came in. And during the time they were in Haiti, they had the opportunity to learn Creole mm-hmm. in those four months. And now they are. Like, we as a ministry, now we are serving with the Haitian community. Like, we are serving a lot with working witness in Haitian communities, I can tell you. And I don't know how ministry will look like without them Mm. knowing Creole. Because, like, I just know how to say, (laughs) bonjour And that's all. And that's (laughs) God bless bless you. God bless you. (laughs) And we cannot, like, talk with a pastor who only knows Creole. Right. and, And, like we are able to see how God was using that time mm. probably just for them to learn this language and, and to be aware of the need and to be aware of the culture, like Haitian culture. Mm. And so here in Dominican Republic, where God is calling them now, they are able to to help and, and to serve this Haitian community awesome. the best way uh, it's it's amazing, like it how gut works. They didn't understand that back then, but now now they're they have these open eyes and they can see how mm-hmm. why. Like God said no before. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. For those who don't know, the Dominican Republic shares an island with Haiti, and there are a lot of Haitians that are in the DR, Dominican Republic. A lot. And uh, <laughs> I would say, I don't have the exact stats, but I would say maybe 25% to mm-hmm, 30% mm-hmm. of our, our uh, churches speak Creole yes. here in the Dominican Republic. I'm not saying even yes. in Haiti. Yep. And so those, I would say, have been underserved. Um, mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. We, we haven't had people that have, have intentionally tried to minister to them. That's Uh, At least in their own language, and now we do. Now Mm -hmm. we do. But boy, when this is happening in the moment, you're like, God, we spent all that home assignment telling (laughs) people, raising funds, preaching about Haiti, praying for Haiti. What is going on? What Mm -hmm. were you doing? Yeah. And I think there's more to come out of that too. We are only seeing the glimpse of maybe what that would be. Yeah. Emily, let's transition and go to the next step. Would you read the next verses that talk about what happened when they say we can't go to this one place? Now we're going going to this other place.
2: Yeah, I'm going to uh, continue reading where Dario left off and starting in verse 11 of chapter 16 of Acts, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It says, We therefore set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me faithful, Mm -hmm. if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay in my home. And she prevailed upon us. Hmm.
1: Well, I I don't know if you want me to come straight back to you after (laughs) you're crying, Em, but I think I'm interested. Uh, Many of us could read that and not get choked up or anything, but what really stirs you as you read those verses?
2: Yeah, I... um, I like Lydia, as a Bible character, <laughs> I think she's somebody that the Lord has strategically placed in some of the early uh, places of the church's beginnings. And as we see Paul's missionary journeys, and I appreciate so much that Paul did not minimize women hmm. and what they could be and need to be. Hmm. Mm-hmm in our church structure. And as I think about what Paul was confronting in missionary travels, and um, he literally was the apostle to the Gentiles. He's already to the other, right? Like he recognizes this is my call. I'm to go to the other. I'm a connector piece. God has told me I'm going to suffer for his gospel. And it's almost like he takes it a step further. He doesn't just say, well, I recognize God wants me to go to the Gentiles. Like he takes so much of Christ upon his himself of literally going to a place where he knows women will be gathered. Hmm. And I appreciate that so much because I feel like sometimes I can put myself in, in his position, definitely as a woman of receiving those types of messages. But I feel like sometimes when we are in church planting circles, uh, that there is still like this mentality of when it's the women and the children that are being reached Mm -hmm. by the gospel, that there is still something that's just like, well, that's not like, it's not going to survive, right? (laughs) Like this isn't a
1: real church. This
2: isn't real or like there's, you know, and I'm not saying to the exclusion of men, that is not where I'm going with this conversation. But um, I think, I just I get moved by Lydia. I get moved by the fact that Paul said I want there to be space in God's kingdom for women to be leaders and ministers. And I come and I reach you, and and she ends up reaching her whole household for Christ. Right, like she's the one that is reached, and God opens her heart. And uh, just the whole entire story is is an amazing story, and I'm moved. Um, I think mostly because I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that we serve a god that goes countercultural and says women are important they have a place in the kingdom, and they even have a place in leadership, mm-hmm. and they have a place in ministry. Scott and I were just talking a couple of days ago about, you know, we've I've grown up in the Nazarene church, and for a long time, I didn't know that women did not have a place in ministry in many denominations and many places in the church, and, and that breaks my heart. It mm-hmm. breaks my heart to think that there's women that think that uh, the church has said that I can't, and where it's very clear that God has a place for women in ministry. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, we. It was interesting as Dario, uh, you and um, and Emily were reading. We're reading a lot of geographical locations, right? Yeah. So you're reading uh, Troas, and you're reading all these others, and then the last one that we came to probably grabbed your grabbed your attention. Philippi. For those who are church planters, for those who are kind of fascinated about when a missionary goes to a place and there is nothing, what. What are the first steps? What are the strategies? And here we have the first look at what would later become the Philippians. I right. mean, he wrote the, one of the, the most popular, I mean, not that it's <laughs> about, about popularity, but, uh, but I mean, honestly, Philippians, I mean, for me at least, is one of the books that all four chapters, I almost have every verse that's underlined. I'm just like, oh, there's so much wisdom. Oh, there's so much good here. And there was a thriving church that was in Philippi. Right. But here we are at the start and we're seeing like, there's nothing, And so what's his strategy? You know, he goes to certain places, he preaches. And maybe, maybe, I mean, I know that, you know, some of us have have started churches and and we've thought the ideal would be if the mayor of the town would be converted. Mm -hmm. The ideal would be if maybe this really influential man, you know, especially in a machismo culture, you know, would would be the one that would, well... That's not the case here. But Paul says, oh, good. Lydia, you know, and, and there were several others, it says, too. Lydia, well, and and then he starts to realize what she brings to the table. Yeah. He starts to say, this is not just no one. This is a, a person with leadership. Mm-hmm. This is a person that that uh, is a businesswoman, too, you know? And uh, just to see the beginnings of the Philippian church is so exciting to me.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I love the part, especially as a Wesleyan holiness believer of the gospel, I love the part in 14 where it says, the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. And that reminds me of a recent episode that we did where um, Natalie was talking about forcing somebody to, you know, listen to listen to the gospel. And um, there are pieces where I have to believe that there are people that God is at work in their heart, right? Like. God's like, this is the moment, this is your day, this is your salvation. And, and I can just imagine her that when she was sitting and listening, she's like, this is, I, I've been waiting for this. I, I knew this had to be true, you know, and like he's here. And, and I think as, um, especially as missionaries to know that that we have this space to serve the Lord, you know, but it's not about the work that we're doing. It's not about the people we're finding. It's about the people that God's already at work in their hearts, and that he continues to open up their hearts. And when we're obedient and we go, that he just, I love in this version that I have that it says to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. You know, she's just like, tell me more, tell me more. And and I think that's when you know that, man, God's doing a work here. Mm-hmm. And when you think about just starting a new church, a new cell group, when you find that one person that is like, has this insatiable, tell me more about all this stuff you're telling me about, you're like, okay, something, something spiritual is going on here. This isn't human. An effort.
1: Absolutely. Dario, what jumps out at you from these last five verses that we just read and what we've been talking about?
0: Yeah, this, I, I try to keep it as short as possible, <laughs> but it reminded me of a, um, an experience that we had on the field in Nicaragua. And I can't remember if I would have shared um, the story here before when we were, you know, we, we went to a community, I think it's called Via El Carmen, and to plant a church. So we had this team of Caribbean missionaries in Nicaragua, in this community. Um, Milton dropped us at the house, you know, I'll never forget the day, and told us, you know, we are here at this house, in this community, and we're going to plant a church. And I remember asking him, okay, are we planting the church? And he said, right here in the house, the same house that we were sleeping in, we were going to plant the church there. I should contextualize it by saying that I'm sharing the story to to just show how we think we had a plan when we arrived in the community. You know, the usual approach we would take to our outreach using sports, VBS, doing, you know, visitations at homes. And it was this just this, this structured approach that we were going to take to getting this church planted, getting this thing done. Um, and I remember on the first day passing a man sleeping in the ditch. At first, I actually thought the man was dead. But then I realized everybody was walking as usual. So I assume, you know, most communities, some communities may have a community drunk, which it eventually revealed this was just a man who was extremely drunk um, in the ditch. And I I remember that we are on a mission trip. I noted the man in the ditch And I just moved on. You know, everybody else was moving on. I didn't stop. I just noticed it. And I moved. Um, And then the following weekend, say I saw him on Thursday, the Saturday, the Sunday, we were in the community. We decided we were going to, you know, do our first quote-unquote official service. Because we were there for the entire week so far. We had done some door-to-door. We had done invitations. And on the Sunday morning, quite a few people came from their homes and gathered at the church with us. And when they came up, because they was preaching in the morning, guess who is sitting in the front seat of the first service? <laughs> this guy that I saw in the ditch, in the same clothes that he had on, when I saw him on Thursday in the ditch. And long story short, eventually by the end of the service, you know, they, they said that there was somebody who was requesting prayer. And lo and behold, it's the same guy. He's requesting prayer. And I took the opportunity to share the gospel with him while I was praying. And he started to laugh. Huh. He started laughing. And he said, listen, you know, in Spanish, obviously, Genesis is is translating. He started to laugh. And he said, listen, just give me my blessing. Let me go. You know, I was like, what do you mean? Like, Jesus could save you. He was like, no, no, you don't understand. You're not the first pastor to pass by this community. You know, others have already told me that I am hopeless. You know, just give me a little blessing and let me go. And I remember I said to him, I don't know where I get the idea from in the moment, but I said to him, you know, we have a week remaining here. How would you like to meet me every morning? I asked him what time is good. He said 5 a.m. I said, how would you like to meet me every morning at 5 a.m. for me to show you that God loves you and you have hope? Obviously, you know, we completely breaking the script of what the plan was, you know, of how we were going to to do the work that we wanted to do. And from that Sunday, after telling him that Monday morning we went by his house, we got there like quarter to five. He had already left for the rum shop, so we didn't even see him. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, we went back on Tuesday. He was home because he drank too much rum the day before, so he was too hungover to leave before we got there, so we caught him. And him and his wife sat at the table and we went through, we were going through the I am statements of Jesus in John. And Wednesday, we went back the, again and he was there. And all of a sudden, the nods, his disapproval of what we were sharing. Sure. But Wednesday, he was nodding in a bit of approval. And then on the Thursday was the first time that I actually felt like, I felt like it's the peace of God to again present the gospel to him. And the Thursday after we shared, I may ask him, you know, based on all he would have heard, you know, if he would follow Jesus. And he gave his life to Christ on the Thursday morning, Mm -hmm. right? Friday, we went back, we made a commitment. We didn't make a commitment that he gives his life to Christ. We made a commitment for the week. And when we got there, he was gone again. And obviously, my first thought was that this guy has gone. You know, he gave his life to Christ on Thursday, Friday morning. He's back at the rum shop. And when we got there, his wife his wife saw the disappointment on our faces. Like, mm. oh my God, this man couldn't even last 24 hours. And she ran out the house and she was like, no, no, you guys don't understand. Like, this is the first time in 23 years his name was Chester that Chester woke up sober. Whoa. And he got up. And decided he was going to go to the market and find a job, and wow. and for me it was like it, it was it, today. It is one of the most phenomenal things that I have experienced on the mission field, because I saw even not as dramatic as the story we just read, but I saw how how God adjusted our plan to reach one individual. You know, just to reach this one Hmm. who, and I don't know, I don't know if he's still, I don't, I I, I haven't been able to to get any updates on, on where he is or, you know, even the, if he's, if he continued to go to the church, I'm not sure where he was, but it just showed me how in that village, God shifted our old plan, God shifted what we thought he wanted, who we thought he would want to reach just to save this one individual and and reading this scripture just reminded me of that
1: yeah, yeah, he wouldn't have been the person you would have said that's the person, that's the influencer, no. that's the guy, you know. <laughs> no. uh, but God changed, <laughs> probably changed a community, honestly, through through yeah. this person, you know. And and uh, it, it reminds me, as I I'm getting chills as you were talking about this. God still changes lives, mm-hmm. He transforms yeah. people, and and it's not just the people that maybe society would say, oh yeah, that's that's uh, that's the person that we'd really like, you know. It's, it's the people that maybe are overlooked, the people that we pass by, you know, and think, ah, no, nah, I'm not, not going to take time for him or for her. And, um, you know, it, one other thing that as, as we're kind of finishing up, I'd like to really just not gloss over. Verse 10 actually says, after the vision, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready. Now, remember, we, it's, it's Luke along with Silas, along with Paul, um, they're, they're all leaving, they said, we got ready at once. That speaks to me about immediate obedience. When God is giving us, like you were saying, Dario, when God is, is persuading us, uh, is, is guiding us in a direction that we thought, oh, that wasn't the original direction, you know, are we willing as servants of the Lord, and especially in missions, especially in ministry, to be immediately and wholeheartedly obedient?
3: Well, I have to say something about it. I don't know, Emily, if you have said this to Elia or Sydney before, but like I've heard so, so many moms saying, um, if, if I ask you to do something and you did it until you failed like it, then you didn't obey. And so uh, it made me think a lot about like when God, like obeying God, it's saying what God God's, it's telling you to do when He is telling you to do it. Like then you're not obeying at all because you're doing it whatever you felt, mm. you feel like it. Um, and I think that it's also important to immediately obey, just as human beings, because if because we don't lose the focus on God, if we are just focusing on God and we immediately obey then we continue focusing on Him so we don't we don't even have the time to look one way or the other one because we are just so centered in God and also we even don't lose heart because of that because we are just want to obey Him um, and even our passion and our desire doesn't diminish because we, we, we're like oh yes like you said this okay you change it okay <laughs> like we just stay in this um, and I think if we just stop and 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 we just stop to think about what is happening, then we get overwhelmed, like and overthinking about like why is the why is that and things that we don't. We will not understand right. because that God's thoughts are greater than than our thoughts. So we would, we will just get overwhelmed, and so we will get disappointed if we don't obey it immediately. So I think it is hel- it is healthy for us to immediately obey God.
1: Go That's so powerful. Just just immediately, even even though it was against what you originally thought, even though you were convinced God was calling you to this other place that you still when he adjusts that when he when he changes that you still say i'm still in i'll, I'll go this dir-. even for them literally to a different country literally to a different place right the time has gotten away from us. We love these. are some of our favorite ones when we just uh, take some scripture. And and I will give all you listeners a heads up. Uh, in the future, we're going to continue and see what happened in Philippi. And so we're going to be talking about one <laughs> of be my-
2: continued? Is yeah, that what you're hinting yes, at? Yes. <laughs> one of my favorite
1: uh, parts of scripture, honestly. Um, so Emily, if there are people that would really like to touch base with us and see and offer like other wisdom on this passage or just on, you know, experiences where God has guided or transformed Mm -hmm. lives. Uh, Where can they do that?
2: Find us on our Facebook page, which is the Worthless Servants Podcast. You can also find us on mesoamericagenesis.org
1: Excellent. We hope to see you there on all the socials. And uh, we are the Worthless Servants. I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm Natalie Franco. I'm Emily Armstrong.
0: And I'm Dario Richards.
1: And we'll talk with you next time.
0: For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.